0: Hi, this is Eric Chase, afternoon host on Cumulus Media Toledo's QNL5. i your host for 68 Words. Welcome to another episode. It's back to school season, and even if you're hearing this a bit late for that, a social story isn't just something that can be helpful to a child with autism. It's something we can all find benefits from. I'll ask Alexis Eggenberger, Director of Navigation Services at Avenues for Autism, exactly what is a social story, but also other questions, many of which I personally had for some time about autism, not only in kids, but adults as well.
1: Are they able to tolerate moving on to a different conversation or moving on to a different toy or activity? Are there any sensory issues that may go along with it? When when the answer is no, we don't have any princesses, are we able to move on? Yeah. You know, if we go to our neighbor's house who has a bunch of boys and all they have are action figures, are we able to tolerate that or do we, you know, have a meltdown and we storm back home? People, places, and spaces doing disability differently share first-hand experience in our podcast inspired by the 68 68- words that spoke the disability rights movement, learn where it started and what's next. Hi, my name is Stuart James and I'm the executive director here at the Ability Center. And welcome to 68 Words.
0: Welcome to another episode of 68 Words here with the Ability Center. It's Eric Chase. Let me introduce Alexis Eggenberger. Did I get that right? You did. Awesome. Thanks for being a guest Um Avenues for Autism. Uh, we're going to talk about that and going back to school over uh, the course of our conversation. I'll re-ask you, but I just asked you uh, off the mic, who are you? Why are you here? What is Avenues for Autism?
1: So I am the Director of Autism Services for Avenues for Autism. We have been around for almost 20 years. Um, Started off as a a parent group for resources and other networking opportunities. And within the last six to eight months, we've developed a clinical service line, which uh, offers counseling and other support services specifically to autistic individuals and their families.
0: Um, Tell me more about the the clinical services. What was the decision to begin to offer this?
1: Yeah, great question. So a community needs assessment done several years ago indicated that there was really this this gap in services locally, which, you know, folks were having a really hard time navigating from the time of diagnosis to what do we do about it, regardless of, of what stage and and you know what age my child is. So this this program really started initially for for parents of newly diagnosed children to allow them to speak with someone, to get some counseling and guidance, to gather resources and navigate, gosh, this, this world of autism. As we developed our services, we continued to find more gaps in, in treatment and found that our autistic adults were really a, a rock unturned, if you will. Um, and and they had, had really nowhere to turn to. Um, so we are providing quite a few services to, to that population as well.
0: Is it fair to say that um, as we've gotten more knowledgeable about autism, the, the word spectrum is, is used and not misused at all. Is it at a point now where there's almost infinite colors on that spectrum um, with the way autism presents, as you've just said, uh, from children all the way to adults?
1: Absolutely, I, I saw a graphic not too long ago that described the autism spectrum as a color wheel, yeah. which I thought was really fascinating because it, you know, really showed that some individuals have more language than others, some have more sensory difficulties than others, and it really is just a, a constellation of different things. That that you're right, um, you know, shows in various different ways.
0: Um, can you throw out some of those examples? Because I am a mental health advocate and I've been sharing my nonsense for years and years now. And I, I, even if COVID had not come, which squashed everybody's positive mental health, and now we have so many more people seeking services, which I'm so delighted by. But even if that hadn't happened, um, I was waiting for where we kind of got to, where there was a lot of self-diagnosing happening and um, that's always going to happen when we get more knowledgeable about things can you talk about um, some education with that so parents don't do that or there signs they should or shouldn't look for because it is such a challenge to get the proper diagnosis when it comes to autism or something else with a two or three year old you're not sure if they should be talking by now how their sentences is how their behavior is can you shed any light on that
1: I can try. You know, the the hard part is many of those symptoms or characteristics overlap with a lot of other diagnoses like ADHD, like obsessive compulsive disorder. And so it, it really takes a very skilled clinician to really kind of split the hairs to understand what what is this. And so I would say that, you know, if parents have any concerns, any red flags to really seek um, an expert opinion, and whether that's their pediatrician or a developmental pediatrician or another psychologist. You know, who's skilled in that area. The other thing that that we're finding as um, kind of the years go and and the research continues to improve is that females um, are not being diagnosed at the same rate, probably not because they don't have autism at the same rate, but because their autism looks different.
0: Tell me about that. Because now that you, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, I, I can't think of many um, friends or people that I know of that have, talk about autistic young girls. It, uh, tell me about this. Is there a drastic uh, disparity with between the genders?
1: So in terms of the research, Yes, absolutely. Boys are four times more likely to get a diagnosis of autism right now than girls. Um, with that said, that's very likely not a true statistic in terms of if they actually have autism. Sure. You know, when, when we look at the diagnostic criteria and, and more specifically look at some of the tests that were, were created and researched for autism, we find that many of those were actually normed on boys. So the boys, you know, may exhibit that typical picture of autism of fascination with wheels or trucks or dinosaurs and, and those things where girls may have a fascination with horses and unicorns and butterflies and to some that seems very typical sure. for young girls the 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 real difference is you know as we age does that lessen or intensify? And then what kind of other skills are there? So for example, my daughter is a a girl with autism. um, And um, she's quite verbal. And she's one of those that that I think a lot of people would look at and say, are you sure it's autism? Um, Her fascination is princesses. Again, very typical for a Mm -hmm. young kind of preschool girl. Her challenge is she, she doesn't know how to communicate a whole lot besides that, and that's where she continues to go around and around. Where her friends at, you know, five years old, six years old, may be able to engage in other types of play and other types of conversations. And we we continue to go back to Belle and Ariel and Aurora. Can you tell me more about that?
0: I have always been so fascinated, and you're the person I'm gonna I'm gonna pick at with so much of this. Um, Where's the line? Where's the diagnosis? I'll revert back to my my mental health things and I am by no means a clinician, although I have seen so many and I'm, I'm kind of like psychology 101. I always share with people um, it, it's something. It's a diagnosis. It's something you need to get addressed when it become when it becomes impactful in your life, mm-hmm. whether it's positive or negative, short term, long term. If it's impacting your life, particularly negatively, it might be something. It, can you walk me through that with an autism diagnosis? Because I would, if if I had a little girl, um, and all she did was play with princesses. I would think that that's completely normal, especially somebody like me. Um, I am a 44-year-old man, and I have like four interests, uh, dogs, mental health, Batman, and (laughs) Transformers. So can can you... parse that apart for
1: me. Yeah. So our our kind of handbook of of mental health disorders um, says something very similar to what you said in terms of, you know, when it becomes impactful. They say, you know, is there clinical impairment, Mm -hmm. right? So do we see impairment across the board, not just at home or at school or in the community, but really in, in all of these areas? And you're absolutely right. You know, if we had a little girl who was just, you know, really had a strong interest in princesses, great. Hey, me too. I know yeah. every Disney song. I'm all about it. Um, <laughs> How many times
0: have you seen Frozen?
1: I can't even tell you. I, you know, what I can tell you, though, is that I have not seen the movie from start to finish. I've only seen little clips about a million times. Fair
0: enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough.
1: Um, you know, where where it becomes um, kind of the diagnosis rather than just an interest is is some of those other, other characteristics. So are they able to tolerate moving on to a different conversation or moving on to a a different toy or activity. Are there any sensory issues that may go along with it? When when the answer is no, we don't have any princesses. Are we able to move on? Yeah. You know, if we go to our neighbor's house who has a bunch of boys and all they have are action figures, because you know they they don't have princesses at their house are we able to tolerate that or do we, you know, have a meltdown and we storm back home?
0: Right, more, more than the typical child tantrum, right?
1: Absolutely, and so that, right, that's the other thing is, you know, I've got a, an 18 month old who who right now is, is going through kind of those early terrible twos when he doesn't get his way and he just throws himself on the ground and, and screams, but in a couple of minutes he picks himself back up and we're fine and we move on. Um, where my daughter, um, at that two and three year old stage, it'd be 45 or 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. About Christmas lights.
0: Yeah, the extremes are the things that should stand out. And again, we have gotten, I, I'm happy that people are helping themselves or seeking it out, but we've gotten into a world of like, therapy uh, therapy speak or diagnostic speak, and I always go back to, um, I have a good friend, she uh, did psychology at the University of Finley, she's her own practice now that, that focuses on families and, uh, and troubled teens, she uh, threw out the example of, of OCD, which we have heard made uh, in people's vernacular for, for decades now, you know, I've heard that so many times, oh, they're so OCD, and, and it riles, it rankles my friend, um, she, she's like, look, it's OCD, not when you're, you know, Checking to see if the stove was on or you think you left it on. Did you lock your keys or whatever? That, that's fairly common stuff. She talked about, the, this is the example of, I had a patient who refused to eat a sandwich until every microscopic piece of the crust was off. Mm. If if all the crust wasn't off, if there was a dark piece on, on white bread, the crust wasn't off and she would not eat it. Like That was the OCD. That was the extreme. Not, that I that I turn the stove off or some of those other things that people get. You should real. You should have some anxiety about whether you locked your house or not. People can go <laughs> yes. in it. But some of those real extreme things. So thank you for, for putting some color into that. Um, One of the big reasons you're here is, as we have all seen in our feeds the last couple of days, it's back to school. It is. And no matter how many back to school pictures you post, you will not have the perfect pumpkin spice until September or October anyway. Um, what can parents who have autistic kids or any concerns at all with um not extreme or erratic behavior but they know their kids are a little different um how can they make back to school going an easier experience for those kids
1: preparation is key what we know about kids with autism or kids who are demonstrating kind of some of those those characteristics is that there's a lot of anxiety that goes along with that anxiety about the unknown anxiety about change and hey we all feel anxious sometimes when we get a new job or we go to a new place um their their level of anxiety is is much higher than ours and that really impairs their ability to to cope it impairs their ability to enjoy that first day. You know, I remember my first days of school and I was so excited and loved it. You know, a little anxious, of course, new teacher, new friends, um, but all in all, really excited to start a new year um, where where a lot of our folks, the anxiety really kind of takes hold and, and we can't see anything other than that. So I think doing a lot of preparation and, and walking through what it might look like, what it could be, can be really helpful.
0: I... I look at some of my traits and I'm not self-diagnosing as like adult autism and even if it is I don't care um, but I have some quirks and, and, and I'm an adult and I can manage them whether it has a diagnosis or not um, now that we're, we're doing back to school and I have a niece she is two and uh, she just went to daycare for the first time and my my she wasn't socialized real well um, she's been to Disney a lot of times she loves princesses but not socialized with like, like like a lot of children her age so the story has come up of my first days at school in first grade which were terrifying I am I'm not kidding you. I would uh, I would run from the school bus uh, when I would see this. I would I would run home. Things ha- things got so bad. I remember um, I missed the school bus because I ran away from it. my mom. Took me to school, and um, I wouldn't get out of the car. She slammed when we still had sliding doors on minivans. Maybe we still do. She slammed um, the car door on my arm.
1: Oh no! Because I wouldn't get
0: out. Had to go get x-rayed. Not that much long later, um, ran away from the school bus again, and my mom said, F it, I can't deal with it anymore. So I was, uh, my dad came home. He had had taken his commute to work, come back home. Um, It was 9.30 in the morning or something. He found me hiding in the closet, Um, which is always fun when people, when I I tell that part of it that I was taken out of the closet, blah, blah, blah. Um, He took me out of the closet. And uh, we walked to school and I think that he was furious and I think that was the last time that I was scared. But uh, whether you want to diagnose something or, or like that, but I'm sure there are similar situations with kids who don't have that preparation, which we're better at now. I think there's been so many uh, familiarizing before you go to school. Um,
1: yeah, you know, I think there's a lot now in terms of meet the teacher and open house and all of that really to accommodate kind of all kids. And you're right, most, most kids are nervous about those things. It's different. It's new. Especially, it's human nature. Yes, if you haven't been in school or daycare before. Gosh, you know, that's terrifying. I have a, a three-year-old who um, went to school for the first time last year, and and we had a similar experience, and she was like, I don't know. You're leaving me here with these strangers. <laughs> I don't think I like this. Um, you know, but, but for for her and for, you know, most typically developing kids, um, that is that is short-lived or shorter lived, um, where the impairment with the anxiety with with people with autism can be really long lasting and really affect the way that they're able to even learn.
0: What can parents um, whose kids are getting adjusted to these first days of school, whether it's for the first time or back to school in a new grade, maybe a new school, what are questions parents should ask Um, or things that they should maybe give a heads up to, to counselors or teachers to make it a, a comfortable experience for the child.
1: So I think the first thing is just having an open and honest conversation with the school. I know some some parents are fearful of how that may affect their child and whether, will their child be treated any differently or seen differently. Um, but if we can put in some of those supports initially, that's going to make the transition to school so much easier for their child. The other thing that I like to advise parents to do is make a social story or a book. they are the lights. Yes. <laughs>
0: My snap didn't work.
1: Hold no, on. it didn't. I'm sitting in the
0: dark. A distraction. <laughs> More things parents can do as back to school to comfort the kids.
1: Yeah, so one thing that I really like to advise parents on is to make a social story, which is a, a book um, or a short video showing what it's going to be, what it could look like. These could be pictures of the school, pictures of the teacher, pictures of our desk and our locker, maybe our walk to school, what it's going to look like. I, um, I have a very good friend. She's a 30-year-old autistic mom. Um, and she still likes to see pictures of things before she goes. She went to a new doctor um, a couple of months ago, who happens to be my primary care physician, um, and she texted me a couple of weeks before and said, hey, if you happen to be there, could you take some pictures? I want to know what the room looks like, what the doctor looks like, what the waiting room looks like. I said, well, gosh, I actually have an appointment tomorrow, so no problem. And things like that just help to, I think, ease some of the unknown.
0: Um... I, do, I prefer to do a lot of that as, as in, and it's something that I had to deal with when I was going through my 30s and, and really digging into my mental health journey. Um, I needed to prepare myself for situations and in some ways either a lot of times I talk myself out of it, uh, a lot of times I, I talk myself into it with some, some mind tricks that I learned through therapy. Uh, the social stories is something I wish I knew long ago. It's something that my parents would have been very happy to have back in the 80s. Maybe they wouldn't have to chase me from the bus so much are easy to catch me. Um, what are some other tips about making those social stories? Maybe involving the kids with them because we know kids love playing. We all love playing with their phones.
1: Oh, yes. I, you know, I, I think the realer, the better, if that makes sense. So if we can get realistic pictures of the school, of the teachers, hey, bring the child in. Let's take a picture of you sitting at your desk, um, you know, let's let's have a voiceover and make it really fun. Um, my daughter loves to make videos out of it, and she will watch that video 10 million times, um, and not just for her anxiety, but because she actually really enjoys it now. Sure. Um, and it's something that's really kind of a fun thing to to do um, and I think that that really helps to to prepare kids you know of course that there are going to be unexpected things when the bus shows up and it's supposed to be bus number 15 but today it's 23 oh, well, (laughs) that's going to be a kind of shock to the system. We can't prepare for everything. But if there are situations that we can prepare for, that'll really help to alleviate some of the stress.
0: When you're talking about the social story, I I think of like a a movie. Um, We often, we love trailers now. It's what gets us to go to a movie. And it's almost like making a trailer for a situation that you're about to jump into. And it's probably something that more people, without any kind of diagnosis at all, but maybe just a little bit of social anxiety can do for the situations.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think about when I came here this morning. You were right? probably
0: nervous coming in here, right?
1: I was. I've been to the Ability Center a million times, but I thought, okay, I don't know what room it's going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be on camera. I don't know anything about this. The
0: stranger's going to ask me a bunch of questions. Right.
1: Do, should I have studied first? Um, you know, so again, I, I think, you know, for me, I'm able to talk myself through it. I'm able to, you know, walk in and say, all right, I'm going to figure it out. Um, but some people aren't.
0: Sure. And, and and it's almost like in the same way that they're, um, when things are extreme, it's it's good to look into um, to potentially get a diagnosis and get help. But also, we can take um, what we do, I guess, is somewhat normally functioning adults and amplify our coping skills and try to give those to children or kids or whoever needs them, Um, like making movie trailers or social stories, which again, anybody can do. What's something else that you think people often miss when it comes to the autism discussion? Perhaps we'll call it a pet peeve.
1: Huh. I have many of those. Gosh. Um, you know, I think the top two are that individuals with autism don't make eye contact or that autistic individuals don't communicate or have any verbal language. And that is just so far, so far from the truth.
0: Um, how do we get people um, to be to recognize those better and to, to push back on those other than just talking about it as much as we possibly can?
1: I think actually the media is doing a, an okay job. Um, there have been quite a few new TV shows, new movies that are coming out. The Good Doctor, for example, on mm-hmm. I think ABC, Atypical um, that I've seen on Netflix. So there are you know new new presentations I think of autism than the old Rain Man presentation, which is sure. where kind of you know autism started, if you will. Um, so I think it's just more awareness and also more acceptance that you know it, it is a spectrum like you said it is this this wheel or this constellation of characteristics and we don't get to decide you know what people struggle with and what they don't
0: mm-hmm. um, we don't get we don't get a choice in into who and what we are um, when we come out um, how did you get involved with all of this how did you begin an avenues for autism what was your journey to having such an interest in this and, and it'd be uh, clearly a passion of yours
1: Gosh, that starts a long, long time ago, Um, back in college. And I I really thought I was going to be in vocal education. I wanted to be a choir teacher Um, and kind of lost my passion for that because it was just so competitive. And I really was not into the American Idol thing. I didn't want to compete. I just wanted to teach and help people. Um, And so I changed my major to human development and then um, ended up getting my master's in social work. And in one of my early, early internships, I was uh, running group therapy for adolescents with behavioral disorders, and there was a 14-year-old with autism. And I had never met anyone that I knew of with autism at the time. Um, And this was, gosh, long ago before we even understood that autism was a spectrum. But the way that he communicated and saw the world and just interpreted things and was able to express himself to me was just this fascinating I, I can't even describe it. I can see him like it was yesterday. Um, and, and that really led me on my path to to love autism and to study autism and to research and do diagnostics and treatment and then to manage programs and develop programs. And then about 10 years into my journey, I had a child who then was diagnosed with autism. Um,
0: what what are the numbers or percentages, if we can put any at all on, on kids? anyone with autism these days
1: one in 36
0: i would think that they might even be more than that i I would agree okay um last couple of things thank you again so much for being here uh i would like to know more about uh what other princess things you have gotten into and learned over the years like if you have come to love a favorite character or song or one that you maybe push nudge your daughter to watch instead of something else
1: well, the fun story is when I was growing up, I actually loved Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And I was Belle for Halloween probably many, many times, even when I was 16. Um, I'm pretty sure my mom still has that dress somewhere in the closet. Um, and so when we had my daughter and she started being into princesses, I gotta tell you, I was kind of excited. Um, Belle is not her number one, unfortunately, but she does tolerate Belle. Okay. Um, and hey, it lets me B Be Belle when we get to play. I like so, it. So, I'll like take it. <laughs> it. Who's her favorite? Oh, she goes between a few. It's usually Cinderella. Okay. Um, And most recently, she's into Ariel.
0: I like it. Goes
1: with the classics. Yes. Oh, yes.
0: Did she, was she too young to go to the Little Mermaid movie?
1: We've not uh, ventured out to see a movie yet. Okay. I, I keep talking to friends, and, and I think we'll get there one day, just not quite yet.
0: I get it. I get it. Uh, as someone i I showed you some of my quirks. I cannot suggest enough going to the movies in the middle of the day on like a Tuesday or something. It's cheaper, and if you've got the time, the theater's completely empty, and it is like your own living room with a lot of seats and a big screen.
1: I like that. Maybe we'll give it a try.
0: How can people get in touch with you and find out more about Avenues for Autism and maybe dive into the clinical side that you guys now uh, you now offer?
1: Absolutely. So our website has all of our information at www.avenuesforautism.org along with our clinical services. We also have a lot of community outreach opportunities that are coming up. Um, so we do a lot of parent support and play groups. Um, we've got a lot of virtual parent support groups and other events coming up.
0: Um, any big events? I had noted uh, and this is just the ge- geographic thing. I lived back in, in Allentown now long ago. and our like we have Comen here. Um, I look at that as our, our big event. Uh, it was the uh, uh, it was the autism walk uh, mm-hmm. back in Allentown. and I see here we have a, s- a smaller autism community growing. Um, do we have a big event here that happens on the calendar for autism?
1: You know, we, I don't know that I would say that we have one big event. We actually have quite a few different ones. So there is an autism walk that typically occurs. Um, I think ours this year in the community was maybe August. Um, Avenues for Autism does, This is August. Well, sorry, earlier maybe. Okay. <laughs> oh, whatever. I, I lose track of time. Um, avenues had a, a breakfast in March or April um, that really kind of celebrates individuals with autism and then we also did a golf outing uh, a couple of weeks ago.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Alexis Eckenberger. thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Good to be here. This is Chief Armstrong of Toledo Fire and Rescue. 68 Words has been a production of the Ability Center hosted by Cumulus Media's Eric Chase and executive produced by Mallory Crooks. If you, your group, organization or business is interested in hosting a disability awareness experience or have other inquiries, please contact info at Ability Center org. Until next time think differently Don't think differently